Well, some of you know my background is in IT, and it doesn't matter if the computer is up 99.999% of the time when it's down. That's all everybody cares about. But we're not going to be like that. What we're going to do is we're going to celebrate our amazing tech team up there. Can we give them a round of applause? They're hiding, but they're there. That week after week, they're here serving faithfully, doing a great job, and things happen. And uh, I think just when it said you bring order from chaos, everything came back on. And so thank you guys, and you're doing a great job. And so the title of the message this morning is A Servant's Heart. A Servant's Heart, the title comes from 1 Samuel 16, 7. Scripture tells us the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the things they can see on the outside. The Pharisees had it all together on the outside. They were doing everything good on the outside, and Jesus said, you whitewashed tomb. You clean the outside of the cup. You look good on the outside, but inside in your heart, things are ugly. See, God is most interested in our hearts. And so our prayer is often, Lord, give us a heart like Jesus. I've said that, and people have said, Pastor Brian, that's such a nice prayer that you pray that I give you a heart like Jesus. I'm like, it's not really nice. The reason I do that is because I don't have one. (laughs) Amen? So I need to pray, Lord, please give me a heart like Jesus. Let me love people the way he loves them. Let me see people the way he sees them. See, in everything we do, we want to be motivated by a love for God. We want to obey the Father as Jesus did. We want to love and serve others as Jesus did. And so if we want to have a heart like Jesus, it makes sense for us to take a a moment and look at how Jesus lived. We need servants' hearts. We need to be humble. That's the kind of heart God looks for. Humble, Humble, obedient, and compassionate hearts. It's hard to believe it's been a year since we all came together. Can we just celebrate that? Huh? One year. It's been a year since we came together, since God brought us together and and began building this new iteration of his church because it's his church and he builds it, amen? But it's amazing to see what he's done. And as I look back on the year and I look forward to the year to come and and cast the vision tonight, again, 5 o'clock, you're all invited, and we're going to look at the finances, but then we're just going to talk about the vision, the vision for the year. And we're going to celebrate. It's a celebration. But as I begin to look back and, and look at the sermons I've preached over that time, and, you know, I have some friends that will, you know, that will plan out their whole year. They know what they're going to preach for the, for the whole year. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how you do that. Not that I'm not organized, because I have, like, spreadsheets that link to other spreadsheets, and I'm, I'm like OCD. I'm, I get it. But I just, you know, I feel like the Lord just kind of takes us on a journey. Yeah. And he, he, makes, he makes it make sense in this continuity and it's amazing. At this point, we don't even really talk much about it anymore, me, Sam, and Jamie, about how God just works in our devotions. We each develop lessons and our teaching separately, and God just brings a thread together. And so I look at the past year and what we've been focusing on in the, in the sermons, and we really focused on the Word of God, on studying and meditating on the Word of God on learning to read the Bible and apply it to our lives, becoming more biblically literate, 
but also becoming more biblically applicable, right? Applying the Bible to our lives. We looked at what it means to exist in authentic community. We have 150 people right now who are in community groups, and they just started, and it's amazing. And amen, we've heard nothing but testimony. And I would encourage you to plug in. We're gonna continue to do that. High emphasis on that. That's where a lot of the growth happens, and that's where friendships are developed. But we looked at community. We talked about being people who fast and pray, not just together, but alone, connected to him, and more connected to each other, more connected to our families, more aware. We talked about cultivating grateful hearts and delighting in his presence. And so this morning, I want to look at developing a servant's heart. Because everybody wants great service, but nobody wants to be a great servant, right? Everybody expects great service, especially you go somewhere, especially if it's pricey, right? You go to an expensive place, this servant, they better be on point. I don't want my water to, you know, I don't want to be down an inch, right? We expect great service, but we don't want to be great servants. Now, we know people get caught up in the world and make everything about them. We understand that, but do we do the same thing, church? I do sometimes, to be honest. See, if we're not attentive and careful, we do the same thing. We're going to see the disciples, they did the same thing. We're not immune. See, developing a servant's heart by being humble, that's what allows us to fight off against that self-centeredness. And so, Father, as only you can do, I have nothing here to offer but what's of you by the power of your word and your spirit. So you minister to all of us, your children now. And as Pastor Jamie said, eyes to see, ears to hear, spirits to receive. Soften our hearts. Bring conviction, God, but conviction that leads us to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a familiar scene at the Last Supper. Sometimes we can take the humanity out of what's taking place in Scripture, and Jesus is gathered together with his closest friends in the world. Guys that he's been living with and eating with and working with and teaching and showing examples to and loving on. And he knows what's to come. He knows what he's about to do. He knows that this is their last meal together. And so things are a little different at this meal. Jesus is probably a little, little quieter than usual. Things are, are different. This is not a typical meal, a usual gathering. He's going to die for them, for us. He's about to be betrayed. He knows he's leaving them. And what are they talking about? What are they thinking about at this time? Luke 22, verse 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. They're talking about who's the greatest. See, there are times in Scripture where I just want Jesus to, you know, grab somebody, you know what I mean? Like, guys, seriously? After everything I've said, after everything you've seen, really, this is where you are? 
This is what you're talking about right now. I would have been angry. I would have, that, this would have been a table flipping time for me. Like, you knuckleheads, that's it. You're all fired. Bring in 12 more. Right? I mean, these guys just... Verse 25, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. And then pay attention to this, because we're going to hear this again, verse 26. But it is not that way with you. But it is not that way with you. Guys, it's not that way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you is to become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? Jesus says some some stuff that just seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Give a little, a little hint of what's important here. Mark 12, 33, it says this. To love him with all your heart, with all your standing, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus is saying it's more important than writing a check. It's more important than serving. It's more important than everything. It's the heart of it. It's the motive of it. Just saying the whole religious system was based on observing and doing. And he, he didn't come to abolish that. He's, still, he's saying the Pharisees did the right thing. They were clean on the outside. They looked good to everyone, but they had a heart condition. Their heart was far from God, and they did it to say, look at me. We joke. I had a friend who used to say, I'm the best at being humble. I am the humblest guy you know, right? It's the heart. It's the motive. Your heart is what's more important then what the law says to do, it's what motivates you to do it. See, we love, in, not just in word, but in deed, right? We're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to serve and give. James sort of says something to that effect. Like, if somebody comes up to you and they're cold, and you say, I'm going to pray for you, well, that's good, but give them a coat. I'm going to pray for you. Okay, thank you. No, pray for them and give them a coat. Word and deed. And here's the thing. We don't want to give him a coat and then take a selfie on Facebook so everybody sees you giving a guy a coat. Look at me. Not the point. For his glory. Not ours. Do it quietly. I've had people come and write big checks. Say, good, here's my, my pastor's heart. Ready? Don't tell anybody. Nobody needs to know it was you. And if everybody needs to know it was you, I don't want the check. It's not what it's about. It's all his anyway. He must become greater. John 3.30, I must become less. See, we want his name to be glorified. And we said before, in the story of the Good Samaritan... The example Jesus uses, you have a priest and you have a Levite who is of the priestly class. You have somebody who had the right title and he had somebody with the right pedigree. The point was they were both expected to do the right thing. And here's the question they asked. If I help this guy that's been beat up, that's been left for dead, it might cost me something. If I help this guy, it might inconvenience me. I'm running a little late for a meeting. If I help this guy, I'm probably going to be late to my meeting. If I help this guy, what's going to happen to me? That was the question they asked. The question 
they asked was, if I help this guy, what's, what are people going to say about me? He's unclean. I mean, what a, what's it going to look like? How much is my refutation going to suffer? Suffer. You know the question the Good Samaritan asked? Not how is this going to affect me, but if I don't help this guy, how is it going to affect him? If I don't help this guy, who's going to do it? It's a question we need to learn to ask, church. Not just assume, ah, you know what, somebody's going to handle that. Maybe not. Maybe not. And the Levite and the priest, they just assume, you know what, the next guy's probably going to come. And thank God somebody did. And you know what, he got the blessing. We can get stuck doing the same thing. Asking the wrong question. Not what's it going to cost me, not how's it going to inconvenience me, but have empathy and compassion. And say, if I don't do anything, what's going to happen See, right now there are situations and scenarios in our lives where God wants to use us, specifically us. And we wait. We wait for a a better opportunity, for a more convenient time. General Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, was too sick to make the convention, biggest event of the year. So he decides he's going to send a cable for them to read. And they had to pay by the letter. So brevity was not only, you know, the the point to be concise was because it was cheaper. And he thought, what one word am I going to send? And so he sent it. And they stood up at the convention and they read the cable from their founder, William Booth. And his one word was others. Others. We're so focused on self that we need to be reminded others. Not just about feelings, thoughts, but actions. Here's another example. Mark 10, verse 35 through 45. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, let me translate that. Ready? This is my version. That's a kid coming up to you and going, Dad, I have a question to ask, and you have to say yes. (laughs) Now, as a parent, you should automatically go, no. My answer is no. But that's what they're doing. Hey, Jesus, all right, we got to ask your son, but here's the deal. You're just going to say yes. Jesus wants to be like, (laughs) really? Okay. What's your question? You think, you know, you got the Son of God, the Messiah standing in front of you. You got... Something good, I don't know. This is their question, ready? In case you feel really bad about yourself and you think everybody in the Bible, you know, gets it right all the time and they're just such good examples, okay, ready? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, verse 37, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. (laughs) It's embarrassing, isn't it? Jesus, here's our question. When this whole kingdom thing happens, I mean, way of favorites, right? Can we get like a special, can we, can we do that? Jesus must have been like, have you guys heard anything I've ever said to you ever? And we can judge them, except we do that, don't we? Well, I've been coming to this church for a long, long time. I mean, I, you know, I, whatever, whatever it is. We do it. I do it. We get, we get expectations on how we are to be treated. We've earned. We've put in our time. 
You do not know what you are asking, verse 38, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink with or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Jesus is saying, you really want a special place in the kingdom? Do you really want that? Because it costs. You've heard me say before, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It's a life for a life. I know, you know, sometimes that is not what gets preached, but that's the Bible. It's a life for a life. Jesus gave his life, and he asked in return that we give us his. We give us, we give him ours. Free but not cheap. It'll cost you something. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to pay that cost? And, and like good church people, when we know the right answer to the question, we just go, yep. So you go, we can, of course we can, Jesus. What do you mean? No, we're in. We got to do something to get that special spot. Let me know. Whatever it is, we got it. How big of a check do I got to write? What do I got to show up to? Meetings? We got meetings? I can do that. What do you need? Jesus wants to be like, no, no, you don't get it. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right at my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And then I love this, verse 41. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. You know why? Because they were thinking the same thing. They were not indignant going, James, John, how can you ask him that? They were going, how can you ask him that before I got to? And then, and then you know when you see somebody do the unspiritual thing and you're around, you like jump on that. That's what church people do. Be like, yeah, guys, seriously, I mean, come on. Really, that's what you're asking? You guys are so unspiritual. Jesus, I want the place at the bottom. That's what I want. I mean, they're so human, aren't they? Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John, and calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rules over the Gentiles lord it over them, and they great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Here it is. But guys, way to be different. The world system, they do that. They reward based on external stuff. It's politics is what it is. If the only people you help are people that can reciprocate, that's business. That's not kindness. That's transactional. That's not motivated by compassion. That's motivated by self. Jesus is saying, you guys, us, I'm calling you to live different. But it is not that way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. I wonder if they were still like, we can do it, we can do it. I think at this point they're probably like, eee, nah, James and John, you guys, go ahead. <laughs> and then not only does he say that, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. That would have been enough if he just said it. Because he gets to say it because he's God. But then he says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, guys, this isn't just an example. This isn't just something I'm telling you. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this at a level you can't fathom. Jesus 
Jesus is telling us to live different than the world. He's telling us, don't play church. He's about to be abandoned by his friends. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be murdered. He has a feeling of, of not having that intimate, like not getting to hang out. He loves these guys. And what are they talking about? Hey, what's in it for me? I, I mean, I would, you know, I would have been grabbing people by the neck. We're going to see what Jesus does. It's not that. See, we can come to church, we can decide what we like and what we don't like. I like the friendly chat, I like the childcare, I like to hear a nice sermon, I like to be encouraged, I like the snacks, the chairs are comfortable. I don't like that song. <laughs> they should not play that song. They should definitely play this song. I wish they did more of this. I wish they did less of this. I, don't, I mean, I don't give to the church. I mean, I'm, I'm there every week. They fill me. I don't, you know, I don't. I don't serve. Eventually, I mean, when things slow down, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, when things are so, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna plug in and serve. Let me know if things ever slow down for you. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we get deluded. We say that for a year or two, but sometimes a decade goes by. Some people have been saying for a decade, two decades, when things slow down, I'm gonna plug in. First of all, tomorrow's not promised. I'm not sure if you've ever read that. No time like the present. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I mean, somebody else can do that, can't they? There should be childcare. When I show up, there should be somebody to watch my kid. Can you help in the nursery? I can't help. No, I'm way too busy. Oh. Okay. I don't have time for God. I'm too focused on my own pursuits. And here's the thing, right? If that's the case, you're not free. You're not free. You're still enslaved. Jesus said, I come to set them free. I come to be the truth and the life. I come to give them life and life abundantly. Jesus is going, if that's your, if that's your way of thinking, if it's all about you, here's, here's the deal, ready? You're never going to be satisfied. Sure as I'm standing here. They asked, they asked uh, um, Rockefeller how much money was enough. You know what he said? Just a little bit more. It's never going to be enough. Never going to have enough money. Never going to accomplish enough. People are never going to be perfect enough for you. Just looking for that perfect friend, right? I deserve to have a perfect, yeah, right, I know. Hey. <laughs> it's as close as it comes, bro. <laughs> but we do. If we think just like the world, Jesus is going just like the disciples. Guys, hey, it's not supposed to be a way that, that way among you anymore. It's supposed to be different for you now. And here's the thing, ready? Because everything the Bible prescribes, everything the Bible suggests, it's for our benefit. So the crazy thing is that if we do this, we'll be blessed. We're going to see it. So it's not do it out of guilt or motivation. It's do it because you're going to be blessed if you do. Watch, we'll talk about it. But if God created us, and he knows everything about us, and he knows how we are best, he knows the optimum us, right? Like if, if you get an owner's manual for something, it knows how it's created, it knows the best way it operates. That's what God does with us. So he knows, you think he goes, I want them to do that so they feel really bad. You guys should serve. I mean, that's religion. That's what... 
That's what people do. Some, some of you, that's been your exposure. I, when I hear people that have been wounded by the church or wounded in their faith, and they describe their experience, I'm like, yeah, that's not, I don't know, that's not Jesus. People always have a problem. I have a problem with the church. I have a problem with Christians. Okay, cool. Jesus had a problem with the church. Jesus had a problem with the religious people too. Let's talk about Jesus, because in my church, we don't worship each other. We worship Christ and him crucified and him alive. See, if you're here and and you're not plugged in, if you're new here, hey, we exist for you. So you, you got an excuse. You got an excuse for a while. Just come and soak it in and be blessed. Amen. If you've been here for a couple years and you're still sitting around doing nothing, what's wrong with you? With all the love in my heart, what are you doing? Tonight, we're going to have the meeting, and, and we, we call it partnership. We don't call it membership. I've hated calling membership. I know some churches do that, and here's why. You hear a membership, and what do you think? Membership has its privileges. You remember? I'm a member. I'm a VIP member. I got a gold star. I'm a gold star member. I'm an elite member of CFC. Maybe we can have sweatshirts with like a little star for the, right? <laughs> membership is what I can get. It's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. We call it partnership. Because what is a partner? We're doing this thing together. We are partnered with the mission and the vision. We're supporting. We're giving. We're on board. It's not about what we can get. I've heard people say before, you know, Pastor Brian, I mean, that, you know, that sermon, I, it was all right. It wasn't the best sermon I ever preached. But, you know, it wasn't really. Maybe next time you can, I'll say, hey, hey, well, hold on. Maybe it wasn't for you. I mean, that's almost never the case, but hey, did you ever think that maybe it was for somebody else, you know, the 300 whatever people sitting here, maybe it was exactly what they needed to hear. You ever think of that? It's like, it doesn't even dawn on us. I don't feel, or, the, or I like, uh, you know, I just, I've heard that people say, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed. <laughs> really? You know how to eat? You know how to feed yourself? I don't know. There is, we have access to more information and more preaching and more sermons and podcasts. I mean, we have too much information. If you're not getting fed, it's, that's on you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If you're new here, I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to introduce you. And at some point, I'm going to put your hand in Jesus' hand and I'm going to back away. Because I'm not the guy. Jesus is the guy. See, maybe for a season we can sit and we can take. And maybe we have times in our lives where it's like, man, I am broken. I just need to be. I've told people before, I've told these guys, leadership's a balance between trying to get people who aren't doing anything to do it and trying to get people who are doing everything to stop doing it. That's what leadership is. So there's times where it's like, bro, what you need to do, sister, what you need to do, you need to take a break. Take care of yourself. Let us take care of you. But you're only able to do that if you've got other people that can carry the load. Don't delude yourself by repeating the same thing you've said for the past decade. Someday I'll give more. Someday I'll serve more. Someday I'll be in deeper relationships with other Christians. It's just right now. See, we're called to serve each other, and the thing is, it works toward discipleship. It builds deeper relationships. People say, I don't really know anybody at the church. Well, I get it, and it's kind of hard. Somebody you don't know, hey, let's have coffee. Hey, uh, you know, like I, but you know how you get to know people? You do stuff with them. That's, it. That's how it works. You hang out with them. And here's the thing. I mean, we have a blast. Like, we're here, the pastors, we have so much fun. We have volunteers come hang out. Pastor Jamie and I, we got our slippers. I got bare toe slippers, and he's got Yoda slippers. We go to the staff meeting, we put our feet on the table with our crazy slippers, because it's home, because this is family, because we're having fun. 
We're serving joyfully. It's not a burden. And we're meeting new people. We're spending more time with new people. And it's incredible. And it's exciting. It helps us to love others. It forms relationships. And it's a witness to the world. I worked with a guy years and years ago. And you probably can't tell this by looking at me, but I'm not a big physical labor guy. And I worked with this guy, and he's just going on and on about how he's got to move, and nobody can help him move, and the Holy Spirit's going, tell him you have a truck. And I'm like, stop, just, where did that come from? No. I'm not going to, I don't, that's not what I do. I, I, I can pay for the move, I'm just not, no. And the Holy Spirit, tell him you got a truck. Tell him you got a truck. Stop talking to me. I don't even know this guy. All of a sudden, I go, I got a truck. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And I thought in my head, as soon as I said it, I'm like, he's not, he doesn't even know this guy. He's not going to ask me. He goes, do you? Would you help? And I'm like, I would love to help you move. I'm thinking to myself, this is the worst thing ever. There's got to be some other way. I'll rent you a truck. I'll buy you a truck. I will buy you a truck. (laughs) I show up. Two days, I'm helping this guy move. Probably the most I've ever moved. I don't even think it took me two days to move Mike's out. Like, I'm just like, and I meet his father-in-law. He goes, wow, you guys must have been friends forever, huh? You look good. I'm like, no, just met him. <laughs> been working together for a week. He's like, really? And you just decide to help move? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, but I'm a Christian. You know, that's, that's what we do. Developed a friendship with that guy. I actually walked through some, <laughs> through some difficult times. I didn't want to do that. But I did it. You know it was the right thing. Sometimes you gotta kinda just jump out of the, sometimes we gotta stop telling the Holy Spirit to stop. And sometimes we gotta be like, all right, Lord, you know what? I'm gonna do it. Two verses should guide our lives. Mark ten forty five, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And the second speaks to how we are to serve. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. See, the reality is that most of us are not going to be asked to lay down our lives physically for Jesus. But every day, we have opportunity after opportunity to die to self in little ways. To put our own preferences and comfort aside to serve and love other people. And we're going to see in a minute... Not just people that we like and not just people that we think deserve the help. Because we can do that. I'll help you if I like you. Or if you deserve it. We didn't deserve what Jesus did for us. Who was Jesus and why did he come? He was a servant and he came to serve. And all throughout the Gospels you find servanthood in the life of Christ. But if you turn with me to John chapter 13, you'll find which to me is one of the most beautiful and profound illustrations in all of Scripture. That Thursday night in the upper room, surrounded by his disciples, I read this description of those events. The disciples gather with Jesus for their final meal. They're all there, James and John, Judas, Peter, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. They're together chattering in a nervous tone. Things aren't going well. 
They know something is up. Jesus seems pensive and quiet. He doesn't seem his usual gregarious self. He talks, but it's like he has something on his mind, and indeed he does. Jesus, as he eats the meal, knowing that before long Judas will come with a kiss, the Roman soldiers will come to arrest him, and he will stand soon before Herod and Caiaphas and Pilate. In a matter of hours, he will be hanging on a cross. The chatter goes back and forth, and Jesus listens. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 2, it says, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. A lot there. See, foot washing may seem odd to us, but it was a sign of common courtesy then. It was typical The roads in Palestine were dirty and grimy and dusty, and if your feet were clean before you left the house, when you got to wherever you're going, they were dirty. used to be a phrase that they would say, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you be living so closely and walking so closely behind your rabbi that as he walks in the roads, the dust that gets kicked up will cover you. These were dirty, disgusting, grimy feet. And it was customary to have your feet washed, especially they didn't sit at a dining room table and have dinner together. They uh, sat on the ground. And the macaroni and cheese, this wasn't so close from the dirty feet. You know what I mean? (laughs) They had macaroni and cheese back then. Jesus had to love macaroni and cheese. What was not customary was that the host would wash feet. In fact, it was a sign of wealth. If I could invite 50 people over my house and I had 50 servants, you'd be like, all right, everybody, you get your feet washed. 
it was expected that your feet would be washed. Just it wasn't for the host to do. And it was reserved for the lowly, for the least of the servants in the house. Nobody wanted to do it. It was dirty and it was humiliating. Some churches to this day, they have foot washing as part of their regular practices. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and washing of the feet. Let me be like, I am leaving this church. <laughs> Guests are like, whoa. And so you know what? They'll say, hey, this Thursday night, we're going to have a, washing, a foot washing ceremony. And so you know what everybody does? Goes home, scrubs their feet, makes sure their feet nice and clean. You know, get pedic- pedicures, right? Get pedicures, like, you know? The feet's the purpose, but the only, only kind of feet that need washing are dirty feet. Right. See, foot washing, though often under, misunderstood, meets a very real need for a continued cleansing. You know what else is important to note? Jesus also washed the feet of the one who was to betray him. I would have been like, all right. 11 of you guys, come here. You get right? It's easy to serve when somebody deserves to be served. Jesus washed the feet. Jesus knelt down and scrubbed and took a towel and wiped the feet of the person. Can you imagine? It says Jesus, he already knew what he was going to do. Can you imagine at that moment? No one what Jesus was doing for him and what he was going to do in response. See, when Peter said, don't touch my feet, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. When he spoke up, he was speaking for all the disciples. That's who Peter was, right? A knucklehead, but he was a spokesman. He just said what he felt. You know what I think they recognized at that moment? You know the question we need to ask? Why hadn't anybody offered to wash the feet? At that moment, they must have realized if anybody in the room should have been washing feet, it shouldn't have been Jesus. But Jesus did because nobody else did. Because you know why? Because they all thought it was beneath them. I think in the moment when Jesus put that towel on, they must have recognized, man, we missed it. Jesus is about to go to his death. Everyone in that room Everyone that was arguing about their place and what they can get. My response, like I told you already, I would have been snatching people up. Jesus' response, I'm going to wash their feet. Because they need it. And I'm going to show them how much I love them. I bet there were things that Jesus didn't say. Maybe they forgot. I bet they never forgot that. Who's going to be the greatest, Jesus? We know you're going to be crucified, but who's going to be on your left and who's going to be on your right? See, as long as we're all talking about who's going to be the greatest and what position we got, we don't have time to wash feet because we're too busy about our own business to be about his. In that room, you had a bunch of proud hearts and a bunch of dirty feet. Everybody fighting for the throne. Nobody wants to fight for the towel and basin. 
Not only that, the story of Jesus washing disciples' feet is a picture of his work on the cross. They didn't understand that at the time. Dirty feet on the outside is a symbol of our sin. Dirty hearts that Jesus washes with his blood that were clean. Peter was looking at it in the physical. Well, then give me, clean me everywhere. Jesus is like, no. No, you don't get it. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. No, this isn't just a physical thing, Peter. This is spiritual. Stop looking at everything as physical. Dirt on the feet is a symbol of dirt on our soul. There will always be a need for feet washing because we'll never run out of dirty feet. It'd be great if we could prove that, right? If I told everybody here, take off your shoes, show everybody, we could make that end the service right quick. Christina's like, nope, nope, Pastor Brian, don't do that. Be the end of the service. Because deep down inside, even though we can, we can clean up the outside, we can make ourselves look pretty good. I see it in Teen Challenge all the time. Guys come in, they look like they got hit by a truck, they're days away from death, they're in for you know, a month or two, they get, gain a few pounds, get a haircut, they look good, they, and then that's their parents come, they say, oh, he looks so good. I'm like, don't let him leave. He just looks good on the outside, it's still ugly on the inside. It's easy to clean up the outside. But then the real work begins. Then the, then, then the heart begins to need cleansing. Brings me almost to the end of the message. See, when Jesus got to the end of the foot washing, the question he asked in verse 12 was, do you understand what I have done for you? In order to answer that question, we need to go back to verse 1, which says, he now showed them the full extent, the completeness of his love. Verse 3 said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come to God and was returning to God. See, in washing their feet, he was giving them a parable. He was giving them an object lesson. The answer to, do you understand what I am doing, was no, they didn't. And no, too often we don't. We don't. If Jesus never did anything for us ever again, we could still never repay the debt. He's done enough. He's done more than we could ever ask for. And in response, we can't wash feet. And you know this isn't just about literal washing feet, right? It's about the attitude of entitlement. It's about doing the thing that nobody, that nobody wants to do. It's about thinking that anything is beneath us. So what, is, what does Jesus do? It wasn't just washing their feet. He's saying, this is who I am. This is why I've come to earth. This explains the cross. I came as a servant to wash dirty feet. See, like any good teacher, what he's going to do is he's going to go ahead and he's going to give them three things. A truth, a command, and a promise. He's going to give them a truth, a command, and a promise. The truth is found, verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. The truth is you call me Lord. The truth is you're here, and you know who Jesus is. You know the truth about who Jesus is. He's your Lord and Savior. He's your Messiah. That's the truth. Then there's a command. The command is found in verse 14 and 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
See, the command is do as I have done. You know what we're really good at doing, church? We're really good at telling everybody the right answers. At knowing the right things. I know who Jesus is. Let me tell you who he is. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. Command is do as I have done. It's a sobering thought. Because to wash feet is the work of slaves. It's not what you'd think of of the Son of God. That's why they're upset. It's why they protested. These knuckleheads who just 10 minutes before were arguing about their position. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, get down on your knees and wash feet. Here's the promise, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus doesn't say, now that you know these things, you're blessed. He doesn't say, now that you know these things, tell everybody else so they also know those things. He said, now that you know those things, now that you know who I am, you'll be blessed if you do them. And there's the promise. You'll be blessed. I don't, the last thing in the world I want to do is help that guy move. And if you call me, the answer is no. But it was a blessing to help. See, it's a blessing to serve. You know, when you're, and you're so wrapped up in your own stuff and you stop praying because you need to, things are so bad, you just got to pray. And you pray for your own stuff and you're in prayer. And then God starts to widen your prayer. And then you start praying for anybody else. And then you get finished and you don't even remember what your own stuff was anymore. See, you serve, and you serve, and you, and you love on people who get a need. At the end, you find out that whatever it is you think you were looking for, you found it. You found it being the hands and feet of Jesus. Good news and bad news. The bad news is feet stink. And if you're going to watch feet, you have to do humbling things. You have to do things that are uncomfortable. You have to do things that you prefer not to do. I was going to title this message, Sheep Poop. True story. That was, that was my first title, Sheep Poop. Because <laughs> we're called to be shepherds, and everyone's like, I'll feed the sheep. I'll shear the sheep. I'll pet the sheep. I'll lift them up. I'll hang out with the sheep. Everybody wants to do the fun stuff, but sheep poop, and nobody wants to clean up the sheep poop, right? Like, I'll do anything but that. I have ducks. Ducks also poop. I do. I have pet ducks. I, I have to admit... Full confession, my wife, 90% of the time. I like to say we share the duties, but 90% of the time she cleans the app up. But I do it. I'm going to try to do it more, honey. Now that I just confess that to you all. I want to hang out with the ducks in the lake. I want to pick the ducks up. I want to show everybody I got the ducks. I just don't want to clean, right? See, life's tough. Ministry is messy. Feet are dirty. Being a Christian will cost you time, resources. It'll make you uncomfortable. It'll also be the best thing you've ever done. Yes. Amen. I remember, I'll never forget, I was at a white, white farm in Pepperell, Mass. I didn't even know what those things are called. White, white hen, maybe. It was like a little, uh, like a Cumberland's in Pepperell, Mass. And I was standing there, I was in Teen Challenge, and I was at the table, and we have to tell people all about the program, and I didn't want to be there. I had a bad attitude, but I had to be there. This kid came up, and he started talking to me, 18 years old. I said, well, what's wrong with this drug? What's wrong with that drug? And I started talking to him. Two hours go by. I'm talking to the same kid two hours. 
loving on him, just, just sharing my testimony, sharing my story, trying to encourage him. I realized at that moment, like, man, there is no place on the planet that I would rather be right now than right here talking to this kid. See, when you show up, even despite yourself, even when you're in a funk, and you realize that God's using you in that moment, there is nothing better. Doesn't compare. I don't care how good, I don't care what kind of raise you got, I don't care what your job, you know, your boss said good job. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. My whole sermon in one sentence. Followers of Jesus are called to distinguish themselves through humble acts of service to people who don't expect it and can never repay it. Followers of Jesus are expected to distinguish themselves through humble acts of service to those who don't expect it and can never repay it. I mean, I'm going to help that guy because at some point he's going to be able to help me. No. I mean, help him too, but you know, that ain't it. Help the person over there that nobody's helping. Here's the problem. Our churches are filled with people who claim to be Christians. They believe in Jesus. They just stop at the truth and they ignore the rest. We may claim to love God, but we don't have a servant's heart. If we don't give generously, we don't serve. Our actions betray us. Jesus said, do as I have done. So you can say, Pastor Brian, that was a good sermon. That was a convicting sermon. That made me feel this way. That made me feel that way. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Whose feet are you going to wash this week? Time for us to move from theory, get into practice. Move away from talk, get into action. How did Jesus do it? Well, he saw our need, first of all. He saw our need. The feet were dirty. He didn't say, hey, Peter, go get a baby. This is... He didn't assign a foot washer. He saw our need. That's how Jesus started. Don't say you don't, have, you don't recognize the need. Look around you. He didn't wait for an invitation. He didn't wait for an assignment. I mean, it's great when people say, you know what, I know my neighbor's really struggling, and if, if the church could, you know, and I get it, and I'm not, listen, I'm not picking on you. That's okay. That's what we exist, and some things the church does, and you know what, I'm, I'll hear people say, yeah, you know, this person, and I'm like, okay, and they're like, and so maybe we could, and I'm like, we like, who, like who? why don't you? You want to do it? I don't know. Be the church. Be the church. Does, you don't need... Do it. Just do it. Just find a need. Don't wait for an invitation. Take the initiative. Jesus took the initiative. He got down on his knees. He didn't announce it. Guys, right now we're going to have a foot wash. And everybody get ready. You know what else he didn't do? He didn't expect, nor did he get thanks. Like, what do you guys think? Huh? Huh? Look at that. Cleanest feet you ever had, right? Look at me, right? right? Feet washing? No. Tell everybody. Tell everybody that Jesus washed your feet. That was the best foot washing you ever had. Just let everybody know. Didn't do that. Sorry, need moved to meet it. Didn't wait for an invitation. Took the initiative. Got down on his knees. Didn't announce it. Didn't wait for a thank you. Didn't receive one. See, it all starts in the heart. Opportunities all around you to serve. God is not looking for those with talent, just those who are willing. I hear a lot of people say, I'm good at X. That might be cool, but we need Y and Z. I'm really good at this, Pastor. If you ever need one of these, I'm, uh, 
okay, that's cool, thank you, but what we do need is this. All right, well, I'll be, you let me know if you ever need that, you know, I'll, well, but we need, yeah, okay, all right, well, let me pray about that one. I literally had a guy at a church one time come up to me and be like, hey, at my last church I was a leader, so if you need a leader, you know, I'm probably a guy, and I'm thinking, you are probably not. <laughs> you are just off the list. You're just, I don't even know, three times, four times they must have said that, and I just thought at one point, at some point, you'd think it would go, the clip light would go off. Like, really? That's that, that's your, does that ever work? Like, okay. See, we think we're above washing feet, and at those times, we need to stop and pray for the heart of Jesus and remember it is not this way among you. See, picture Jesus, perfect sacrifice, perfect Savior, completely innocent, hanging on a cross. For you and for me. And we can't wash feet. We can't be a little uncomfortable. These sermons, these are not, I say it every time, this isn't me preaching to you, this is the word preaching to us. I think, I, I, I think a lot, have I ever really given sacrificially? My time and my money, has it ever really, have I ever really, or is it just easy? I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. We just do what's easy and what's comfortable. And we miss out on a blessing. That's the worship team to come up. We need to be humbled. We need to just picture Jesus. The most magnificent human being to ever live. Messiah, the son of God. Kneeling down before us despite our protesting, despite our acknowledgement that we don't deserve it, and scrubbing our dirty, disgusting feet. Paul, Philippians chapter three, says this, but whatever regains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul saying, everything I've accumulated, everything I have accomplished, everything I've ever done, all the applause I've ever received, it's junk, it's worthless, it doesn't mean anything compared to just knowing Jesus, compared to that relationship with Jesus. See, the greatest treasure he's already given us, and that's his presence, his promises, his power, his peace. These altars are going to be open. If you need prayer, we're going to stand. We can stand. I'm going to pray as we close. Lord, not an easy word to receive, not an easy word to preach, but your words, the truth, the command, and a promise. And so, Father, soften our hearts. God, we repent that so often we make it all about us, God. And we're sorry. 
All we need to do is consider what you've done on the cross, your grace and mercy in our lives. God, would you just help us to be willing to do what needs to be done for your glory. Continue to have your way in this place, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We exist to serve you and bring you glory. Father, would you give us hearts like Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen.